This is the second day of the Pledge Fund Drive. Uh, Everybody, it's Claudia Shambaugh, your host, on the April 23rd, 2013 edition of Ask a Leader. But before I'm going to haul into all my lovely programming, I'm asking you, I'm appealing to you to consider supporting us. There's two important things that I want to lay out for why we're in it's important to support this. How much I appreciate your listening to the show and how much it, uh, you would value making a pledge to the station. I'd value it as well. The number to call is 949-824-5824 or you can go to the web at KUCI.org and pledge your tax, dona- tax deductible donation to this KUCI, your radio, community radio station. Nine four nine eight two four five eight two four. I'm going to play this little bit of a Cuban jingle here, so everybody can enjoy a little bit of change of pace. Uh, we're going to have a brief break, and then we'll start in earnest. Polo Montañez. He was a, a, a recording artist from uh, Pinar del Rio in Cuba. He uh, was deceased at an early uh, age in um, 2004 or 5. He was only, uh, I think, uh, barely in his 50s or 40s. So uh, as we're um, going to just bring in the show here, we're going to um, talk up today. Our program is special. As usual, we're going to hear from Janice Bellucci to speak to the complexities of where California's 88,000 and growing registered sex offenders should go once they've done their time. At the bottom of the hour, my other guest will be UCI's Claire Trevor Brent, School of the Arts, Department Chair of Drama, Gary Busby, and Professor Director Jane Page directing the visit performed at UCI's Little Theater. And before we head into the break, I want to remind you yet one more time that we are here for the second day of our fun drive. We have premiums, lovely, just an exhaustive list of CDs for the $35 pledge. You climb up further and further up and you'll get other certificates. There's a lovely one from the Memphis Cafe they were giving us. We've got uh, some books. Greg Palace, a guest of mine last year. We've got his vampire, uh, his uh, billionaires and bandits books here. More than one of them, so you can pile on to that offer. And as we were talking about at the close of Heather McCoy's show, you can join us at the other side of the console be a part of hosting a show for $200. And some of you know how to blow $200, so blow it our way at KUCI 949-824-5824. Let us play just a little jingle, and we're going to be back with Janice Bellucci. Thank you for staying with us. All right. Sí, creo que sí, everybody. Well, thank you so much for staying with us. We are now going to start welcoming back to the show uh, in the 
Second, as I said, the fun drive. We still can take your calls, everyone. My first guest is Janice Bellucci, president of the Board of Directors of California's chapter of the National Organization Reform Sex Offenders Laws, a nonprofit engaged in restoring the civil rights of sex offenders through education, legislation, and litigation. I think in that order, they're all extremely important. She is also a civil rights attorney with successful challenges in federal district court, laws passed by cities that violate the state and federal constitutions. She does not have a family member who is a sex offender, but she does represent some in civil challenges. Previously, she practiced law as the former general counsel of the California Space Authority, a statewide nonprofit focused on aerospace issues, and has served as an attorney for the U.S. House of Representatives, NASA, and the U.S. Air Force. She's raising three daughters with her husband, Reverend Brian Walker, in Santa Maria, that's northern Santa Barbara County, where she calls in this interview this morning. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Janice Bellucci. Good morning, Claudia. Thank you for having me. Well, ever since reading about it, uh, it was brought to my attention at LA Times two Fridays ago. Uh, now I'm I'm on board with. We've got a very blunt instrument that has been legislated from Megan's Law and uh, with various uh, pressures from uh, in within Orange County, the District Attorney uh, Tony Rakak is putting on municipalities here to go to run the board with uh, a very full prohibition of where the 88, well, not in California, in Orange County, there is a, it's a fraction of the 88,000 uh, registered sex offenders. Well, would you please, Janice Bellucci, uh, tell us what is included in the broad spectrum of offenses that would brand someone a sex offender so that everyone listening can understand how sweeping these restrictions are. Absolutely. Um, you're, you're exactly right, Claudia, that there are so many people who are caught up in this net who, uh, quite frankly, do not pose any, uh, any risk to society whatsoever. So we have people on the registry who had consensual teen sex. In other words, they were a teenager and their partner was a teenager. It was consensual. I'm not talking about date rape here. Uh, a huge who, difference. Right. People who, in fact, have done nothing more than urinate in public. And by this, it could be in a bush. It could be behind a sports bar when the line is too long. Um, I know of one gentleman in particular who basically urinated in his own fence backyard and because a neighbor was looking through the fence, um, he is now on the registry. Good grief. Yes, it's that bad. And we have people who send, um, take a, a, a picture of their genitals and send them to a loved one. And then if that loved one, maybe the relationship breaks up or, or whatever, the loved one decides to send it to others, the person who takes the photo is, in fact, um, you know, can be put on the registry. So we have over 200 offenses right now that could land somebody on the registry. And I don't want to diminish the severity of some of the individuals on the registry because we do have people on the registry who are rapists and who have, um, you know, molested a child. Right. And um, to go back to what you were saying, the, uh, some of the earlier um, uh, offenses that qualify for um, becoming a part of this registry, uh, also when, uh, let's say, it was uh, 
where consensual sex might have been practiced, and when the relationship went awry, then there is a charge of uh, of sexual assault. It, so it's um, you know there's sort of a you know, or you're saying or if the uh, the relationship went awry with the, after the sexting had been um, transacted. It's it's uh, it's really not the level of of um, the magnitude of offense that um, certainly would um, that would warrant something as prohibitive as not being able to go anywhere and we're and we're going to go in that but at first it was important for people to get a flavor of uh, these are not veins in your teeth <laughs> uh, grizzly neanderthals that are going to go and pounce on the next uh, you know uh, prepubescent uh, you know a child in the community it's a it's huge it's huge 200 and is there a way someone could go ahead on the web is it on your website that we could look at all the 200 offenses just to uh, bone up on uh, what that really is about well we have um, information on our website which is california rsol standing for reform sex offender laws um, if somebody else, another place to find it is California Megan's Law. If somebody Googles that term, again, California Megan's Law, they also list right there on the state government website all the offenses for which somebody could end up on the registry. And Megan's Law is also the source for which uh, law and, well, actually police chiefs, some of them are around Orange County, uh, including the uh, Chief McBride from Laguna Beach, used Megan's Law uh, website as a source for noting that um, that 95 percent of sexual offenses are not reported, and 90 percent of those reported happen with people the victim knows. So it's it's uh, there's there's other ways, there's other identifiers, there's other follow-throughs than uh, just sort of rounding up everybody who's had something to do with skin. Or not even. I mean, we have non-contact, um, non-violent offenses on there. Think about somebody who does indeed urinate, quote, in public. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, so, and there's, it's, I mean, there's no way anybody would know about that. Now, I'm, this isn't an endorsement of that, but it's, but people wouldn't have, have any sort of, a, would never have connected those dots with the, the you know, the, the weight of, what that act has in terms of the rest of their life. And that's what we're going to get to that, the duration here in a bit. But let's talk about uh, anyone can pull up a map on the Internet of those dots where the um, registered sex offender lives. You can pull up, you Google the city, uh, Megan's Law in the city, or, um, or you, no, sex offenders, name the city. Uh, that's It goes by city, then by county. And that is um, a, a, where we can... Not just locate them, but now let's let's move into what I, I was trying to get into is the the full prohibition for the sex offenders were a city to adopt that particular ordinance would mean that they are prohibited that sex offender not just living but just walking, driving by, just uh, any any sort of uh, physical uh, aspect. Uh, within a park, a school, and the beaches in, to some extent? You're absolutely right. Um, in Orange County in particular, the county first passed an ordinance, so any property that was county-owned and operated, and it did include beaches, parks, um, hiking trails, and, and like, um, were in fact off-limits to anybody who's on the registry. So even our public urinator, could not go to you know a pub to a county beach. 
So if that weren't bad enough, then the district attorney in Orange County um, went ahead and lobbied cities to pass similar ordinances. Heavily. Very heavily. And so I've been at some of those city council meetings with the DA. Of course, we're speaking on opposite sides of this issue. And uh, 14 cities um, went ahead and passed similar ordinances. I'm happy to report that the county ordinance itself has been declared to violate the state constitution and is not currently in force, so it's up on appeal. And then we have... Um, at what level is it on appeal at this point, Janice? It's state court. So okay. what happened is there was a three-judge panel in Orange County Superior Court that ruled that that county ordinance was not constitutional, and therefore it was preempted by state law. Um, and because of that, they, it's not currently in force. So the DA did not like that opinion, and he has, in fact, taken it up to the Court of Appeals. Again, it's a state court. Okay. For those joining us, it's the second day of KUCI's Fund Drive. At uh, You can call 949-824-5824 to pledge your support. You don't get programming anywhere like this. And Janice Bellucci, our guest this morning, who is a board member and an activist here, uh, the state organizer of the California chapter of reform sex offender laws. You, Yeah, you can catch the article in the LA Times maybe, but here we have a chance to open and unpackage it even to a greater degree to the the, the uh, moment-to-moment changes in the subject of California's 88,000 registered sex offenders here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, streaming worldwide on KUCI.org. And so... And what the prohibition means is that, you know, name the activity, folks, and Janice will talk about this uh, in practice, is you, you, uh, if this limits not only where you are able to recreate, where you can be employed, where you can actually hang your hat and reside. And uh, as another person, a social worker with a good deal of experience in, in case studies is that this you can't even a, a path to a, a relative that you want to visit could be obstructed by a full prohibition. It's very true and very sad. And Claudia, one thing um, I forgot to mention as Please. far as possible offense is, in fact, downloading what's considered child pornography. And uh, we're not talking about four-year-olds; we're talking about teenagers. So in our state, unfortunately, anybody who's less than 18 years old, so it could be 16- and 17-year-olds, if you download a video of them performing any type of a sexual act, then that, in fact, is considered child pornography. And child pornography right now is being um, penalized very harshly. Um, And I, I mention this because of your listeners being on a college campus. It might be really tempting to click on a video of teenage teenagers, um, conducting in sexual activity, and if you do that, uh, you can expect a knock on the door from the FBI. So the FBI is very active right now in following uh, these child pornography cases, what they call, and um, I personally know of a dad in Orange County whose son did exactly that. He downloaded two movies of teenagers, and he, in fact, is now serving five years in federal prison. All right, that's just the start. He's not even on the list yet, but that's what he's looking at, and um, whether or not there's changes and and that um, to the the law, at, which are, we'll talk about being contemplated. It's that's just the beginning. So, and what what's happened with 
Megan's Law and subsequent uh, construction of ordinances is that any possible agenda we could think about, it's they're all overlapping, as I was saying earlier, to crowd someone out of of leading any kind of a manageable life. It's sort of, it. it's putting someone in a huge kind of conundrum here about how they can, they can live a viable life. They can, they can, uh, they can be gainfully employed. They can interact. They, I mean, I'm thinking it's sort of like bottling them up. They can't, you know, have a recreative, uh, opportunity and that that is no good for their own constitution and uh, renders them uh, less healthy for not being able to use those recreational amenities out there just to use them it, absolutely I mean, and and it's not good for them and it's not good for our society either because you use the term bottled up and that's what happens if somebody basically is pushed farther and farther into a corner they're either going to crouch there like a, you know an animal or at some point in time they could be very angry and upset and, and harm somebody. So we have problems with residency restrictions, which are telling people where and, and where they can live and where they can't live. I have a case right now in the city of Cyprus, which yes. is in Orange County. Yes, of course. And in that case, there's a couple who are engaged to each other. Um, and once they be, shortly after they became engaged, they decided to live together. And since she already owned a home, he moved into her home. He's the registered sex offender. And, his and do you know what his charge was so we can, you know, really connect some dots here? Well, you know, I don't, but okay. I, I remember that it was 26 years ago. So 26 years okay. ago, he did something inappropriate. And he's still incarcerated because of the prohibition. Oh, no, no, he's not incarcerated. No, I mean incarcerated in oh. terms of really limited uh, freedom of movement. Surely, surely. I mean, they're telling him that he cannot live in the same house with his fiance. And I know in that same city that there's a a young man living with his parents who's bipolar. The city's trying to convince him to move, or not convince, telling him he has to move out of his parents' home. And in another situation, there's a man who's in his uh, 70s who is in, you know, has all kinds of medical conditions living with his daughter, and they're telling this man that he's going to have to move out of his daughter's home. So these are the types of insane um, rules you know, and, and laws that are being passed right now. That's incredible. And uh, the, so the suspension of enforcement, at least it's in Orange County, or was that challenged to other full prohibitions in other counties, municipalities in California? At this point, the decision is not precedential. We can't use it as a precedent, precedent because it's on appeal. But once the appellate court makes a decision, and we're hap- expecting that to happen in the next four to six weeks to have a decision in that case. Okay. Um, and so if that should happen, then we can use it as precedent. But I want to tell you that there are cities in Orange County that did pass these laws and now are retracting them. So Which one ones, the, for instance? Great examples of the city of Lake Forest that got sued by another attorney, not me. In December of last year, they repealed their sex offender ordinance. In, in L.A. County, the city of uh, Lancaster just repealed their ordinance after I sued them. Um, that was just in March. We have the city of Palmdale that's considering doing that, and that's on their agenda from the May 1st meeting, city council meeting. So some of the cities are beginning to see the light, or they're afraid of being sued, and quite frankly, I don't care which it is. But what, the important thing is that they do indeed uh, repeal their ordinances. And I wanted to give uh, some credit to where credit is due, where there were council members uh, who were debating various ordinances, Irvine being among them, where there was this kind of ideological kind of uh, red herring waving, where uh, 
that it was difficult to say to vote against a full prohibition, but they did their best to try to uh, minimize. You know, some areas. You know, the lo- loitering is one thing, but walking through using you know uh, that th- those kinds of um, uh, of uh, allowances, if you can call it that, in a prohibition, uh, were what were attempted in the city of Irvine. But I must say that it became a campaign issue, and there was a really, I think. Uh, an abhorrent campaign brochure that the incumbent mayor used to uh, to sort of trade on his uh, his support of a prohibition of, of, of the, in its fullest uh, for uh, sex offenders uh, being anywhere in, in uh, these uh, park, school, open space areas, and uh, he uh, off. Of that particular campaign gimmick, um, he was, uh, among other factors, he was able to defeat the uh, opponent who was trying to be more uh, surgical with his approach to uh, applying Megan's Law in the Irvine City Ordinance. Well, we must cover that there is in the state of California under consideration Assembly Bill 702 that is attempting to to stratify... uh, set up a three-tiered approach, uh, this proposed by state assemblyman, that's uh, from San Francisco, Tony, Tom Amiano, and this would approach would enable lower-level offenders with otherwise clean records to get off in 10 to 20 years, uh, versus this, this, the uh, full prohibition is a registration on the sex offender list for life. So you've been able to lobby yourself, Janice, uh, in the legislature, tweaking uh, the Megan's Law. How is it looking today at this point? Well, I'm happy to report that um, the Public Safety Committee of the State Assembly did, in fact, pass the ordinance, or sorry, pass this bill um, by vote of five to two last week. Um, I was there. I was one of several people who testified in support of this bill, and uh, it, it was, uh, and so it was passed, not un- unanimously, but by five to two, and uh, so that's a, just a great start. Was that a partisan uh, line? Uh, we know the construction of the the partisan construction in the assembly, but was on that committee was that strictly a partisan line that they voted, or um, not strictly? Because one of the Republicans crossed party line, so. Um, normally it would have been a four to three, but we did have a, a Republican who voted in, in support of this. Good for you. Understand um, what in fact is is at issue here. So it's not too late for listeners to appeal to their representatives. That's in the state senate too. After this is taken up uh, uh, fully with the uh, in the assembly, but to urge our uh, various representatives in the state legislature to support AB seven zero two. Correct. Absolutely. There's two more steps for this bill. Um, it's, a pro- it's been approved by the Public Safety Committee, and now it's in front of the Appropriations Committee. Um, the fact is that this doing yes. this, um, basically uh, tearing those who are on the registry, will save the state and local governments over $115 million. At least. So that's something certainly in our favor. Um, some people, though, see this, of course, as politically difficult. Um, because, oh my gosh, somebody might look like they're a friend of a sex offender. But the fact is that this is something that makes sense from a dollar and cents point of view as well as from uh, you know, a civil rights point of view. 
And it, it really is hard for people, I think, to out the uh, the range of sex offenses for people to to come around and not look at this in such a black and white way. So it's the the onus really is on supporters of AB 702 uh, to educate when we're we're all <laughs> there's so much to be educated on. But uh, something like this is it's a it's a different kind of a life sentence not to be able to go out, associate, convene, uh, converge. Uh, to, to do anything like this. So uh, it's it's really a problem. I want to remind everybody that uh, we're, we are talking with Janice Bellucci. She's the state organizer of the California chapter of Reform Sex Offender Laws. And the website where you can get more information, there's a couple, but the, the one dealing with this uh, intervention in the status quo, it's the California rsol.org and there's a number um, it, there's an LA office but it's a Santa Barbara number uh, to call 805-896-7854 and that is um, to, for you to get more information as you mentioned earlier Janice Bellucci that also with the Megan's Law you can get an, an amazing amount of information it's not a it's not an advocacy website. It's it's all about data. And what we didn't get to mention as we're closing here is the problem. There are many problems with the maps. Uh, we don't know anything about those offenders that are, are plotted in those municipal maps of those that are registered um, in those areas. We don't know that the information is accurate. We don't know that it's up to date. So there, uh, that is another problem. Is it addressed at all in AB 702? Uh, un- unfortunately not. We're going to have to have another piece of legislation to clean up the Megan's Law website. And I'm glad you brought that up, Claudia, because more than 70% of the profiles on the Megan's Law website are wrong. They're either incorrect or incomplete or both. And, and the information that's missing from most of them is the year that people were convicted and the year that they were released. And the reason that's important is you have a current photo of the individual, and when it doesn't say what year the event occurred or the offense occurred, it might have been 50 years ago, literally. I'm working with a gentleman right now um, here in Santa Barbara County. He's 85 years old, and he's got his current photo. It does not um, list the year of release, which was more than 50 years ago. So it, it looks like, you know, he did this offense yesterday. This is really, it's a really amazing um, problem. And uh, the uh, I was talking with our station manager yesterday when he wanted to know uh, that you're going to be on the show. And, and, you know, he had a black and white sort of approach to he just, he has uh, one child in preschool and one on the way, one in the oven. And his first reaction was, man, there's a lot of red dots in our neighborhood. And I explained to him, you know, it's it's not what you think it is. And we're, we're going to cover that, uh, you know, the sh- on my show today. So it's really, I know you've got lots of cases going on. It, for me and my, uh, earnest, my earnest bearing, I am really reassured that the challenges to this sweeping approach to sex offenders is uh, the challenges are successful. And um, do you know, can you imagine how far this will go as we wrap up the interview? Will it, will this will be, uh, will it go beyond like a California state Supreme Court uh, situation? Um, no, I think if this bill passes, uh, everybody will be fine with it. And one of the reasons, Claudia, is that 
46 out of 50 states in our nation. That's the other point. Thank you. We had to bring that one. That's the closer. Yes. 46 out of 50 states have a tiered registry already. So this is California catching up. We uh, Otherwise, I just have to name names. Uh, we are in league with Alabama, Florida. I'm looking where my counties are listed here. In South Carolina with the distinction of, of slamming uh, this broad swath of so-called sex offenders that are registered with a, a life sentence of being uh, limited for where they can ab- absolutely physically be present. So uh, we might as well join the rest of the country in a, a little finer, more surgical approach to dealing with um where sex offenders that are registered are allowed to be. Well, Janice Bellucci, I really, really do appreciate your being on the show, and I want to uh, wish you uh, a, a momentum, wind in your wings to challenge legally and uh, advocate successfully in the legislative arenas uh, reform of the sex offender laws here and uh, an, a, a, an example county to county an example maybe we can be to, to South Carolina, Alabama and Florida as well. Thanks very much Claudia. All right thank you for joining us. We are going to be back after a station break we're going to be queuing up uh, Gary Busby, who's in New York with Showcase right now, and we'll have uh, uh, Jane Page in the studio with me to talk about the visit coming up in uh, the second half of the hour. Stay with me, all. Everybody, thank you for staying with me here on Ask a Leader. I want to remind you just yet one more time we are in the second day of our KUCI Fun Drive. I want to remind you we have lovely premiums, we have music, we have books, we have even a few little uh, place settings at the Memphis Cafe for premiums starting at a pledge of $35 all the way up to $200 or more. $200 gives you an opportunity to sit right here in Studio A with the host of your choice, the DJ of your choice, to um, support the station that covers things you aren't going to get anywhere else. And the number is 949-824-5824. And for those of you who are just wicked bad with all the numbers, just remember it's your same area code locally here, 949-UCI-KUCI. That's the numbers. So now, for the second half of the show, welcoming you back here, I want to, um, my guests are the new theater department chair, Gary Busby, and Professor Jane Page, director of the upcoming theater production, The Visit, written by Friedrich Durenmatt. Durenmatt, we have to get really Deutsch here, which everyone in the area has the opportunity to see from April 27 to May 5th. This is the, the, the production being the subject of today's interview. Jane Page, as assistant professor and head of directing, joined UCI's drama part department in January of 2012. Her extensive credits include her award-winning 2011 production of The Great Goddess of Bazaar. I'm just feasting on the tiles, but I can't give you all the tiles between Jane and, and Gary, but we'll do our best. And her direction of Amelia Lies, both at the Edinburgh's uh, 
International Fringe Festival. Also, The God of Carnage at the English Theater in Vienna. Awesome play. I wish I, I've heard so many good things about it. But I can't get to Vienna, and I didn't get to New York, nor did I get to Costa Mesa to see that. But in the U.S., Jane's contributed to Shakespeare festivals in Colorado, Kentucky, Utah, and the St. Louis area. Her reach extends to the University of Denver, where she developed and headed an outreach program for international studies in 2003. An endowed scholarship was established in Jane Page's honor at the Graduate School of International Studies at the University of Denver. She completed her master's in fine arts at Indiana University. Gary Busby, the other guest, he's uh, Professor Dr. Uh, Gary Busby, completed his graduate work at UCLA's Department of Design Media Arts. He joined the UCI faculty in 2004 and just just recently was appointed chair of the drama department. Dr. Busby's theatrical credits span both the musical theater and operatic genres, from Stefan Schwartz's Godspell to Igor Stravinsky's The Rake's Progress. As conductor, Gary Busby has toured Europe and South America, conducting in Berlin, Leipzig, Budapest, Vienna, Florence, Rome, Venice, and Bogota. Stateside, he was the music director or, or supervisor at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, the Arc Theater in L.A., with students in leading roles on Broadway and national tours, Gary Busby is sought after as a vocal coach, singing teacher, and clinician. He's also a frequent master class teacher in the Southern California region. Prior to joining UCI, Gary, Gary Busby had appointments at the School of Theater, Film, and Television at UCLA, as well as the Thornton School of Music at USC. Such fine credentials. All that drama, talent here today on Ask a Leader. Gary Busby comes to us today from New York City, where he's presenting Showcase, if I'm correct. And Jane Page joins me here in Studio A. Welcome, both of you, to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you for having us. Well, what a... Ask a Leader lacks in theatrics. It makes up for lively discussion for listeners, whether it's a fun drive or not. Let's start then with the visit, written in 1956, as I mentioned earlier, by Friedrich Dürrenmatt. It's a tragic comedy relevant to contemporary America, where this production will be set, but we'll talk about that. Uh, This piece addressing such issues as women's rights, vengeance, justice, and forgiveness. What is there not to want in this? Uh, So uh, let's start with what are you two, uh, especially Jane, what are you telling in the story? What are we telling? Well, we're hopefully telling a really great uh, story about a community and about what happens when the community is faced with uh, a moral dilemma that can actually solve all their financial woes. Yes, and the and that's our theme. You can think of um, the, in this case there was Durandmat's uh, subject was the financial um, aspect, the uh, the paradox of a neutral country that was bankrolling not such a neutral uh, cause. Correct. He was writing it at a time he was very frustrated with Switzerland's position uh, in World War II because, as you as you mentioned. He, Switzerland was taking money from all sides and and saying they were remaining neutral, but uh, it didn't seem from Duramont's perspective that that was particularly the case. And I mean, it was a massive war machine that wouldn't have had the capital were it not having that funding that was uh, not laundered, but it was short, something short of being laundered through Swiss banks, Correct. highly secret accounts. Yes, and that was really the beginning right before World War II was the beginning of numbered bank accounts which, of course, then after uh, the extermination of the Jews in, 
in Europe, a lot of those accounts became property of the Swiss government. The triple loaded irony. It's awful. It's awful. So, um, so that is, and so what will be the setting then for how this a play will be presented? When Dermot wrote it, he said that the play takes place now, and it was in capital letters in every uh, translation oh. I, I saw. And I, and I really think that uh, what's going on in the United States is certainly fertile ground. And so I have set the play in a Rust Belt town in uh, sort of upstate New York uh, in 2013. Oh, marvelous. No, it's that is an O W, and uh, Rust Belt. So uh, the it's a it's a community. It's a town. It's a small village kind of a thing in this, and um, so and you've had, then in that town. That means we're going to be. You have a different opportunity with presenting a play that's not often done. What are some of those features? Well, because it's it's American, I think that even if you haven't been to that part of the country, you'll identify the people. A town that has really been. Uh, uh, corrupted and, and destroyed economically and the people that are left there who want the best for their town. Um, the thing about the play is also it's considered a tragic comedy because there's also very, very funny things in the play, which makes it a lovely balance and quite a wonderful ride for the audience. So it's a, it's a, is it comic relief or is it sort of, sort of a searing, biting humor about... Um, the ironies and the paradoxes of the plot line. I think it's both. There are a couple of characters that are, are uh, perhaps farcical in the in the play, and it's certainly a visual feast because as one acquires wealth or goes into debt, um, people don't necessarily get when they get money get taste. So there's a lot, <laughs> there's a lot of fun jump in anytime, Doctor B. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Go ahead, James. Well, so there's a great, there's this whole sense that the town sort of becomes almost like Las Vegas as they, as they. Uh, Tawdry. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, wow. and that's, of course, it's a, also, I think, uh, the way Jane has directed the show, it's a highly, um, it's a really big visual commentary on not the worst of America, but definitely looking at some of the ways that the American culture wants to spin itself and r consistently refashion itself. Interesting. Um, and I think she's done that marvelously well in the well, production. Well, fine. Fine. So... I mean, you, got, you only have to think about what's going on with all of the happenings in Boston to realize that this whole notion of vengeance and hurting other people for vengeance. I mean, first of all, it's a very human emotion, but at what point do we get off of the vengeance train and and what point do we realize that the cost of vengeance is is to ourselves as much as to anyone to whom we would create and and, and indict with our vengeance, you know? And I think that's something that the play examines quite well and Jane Staging has done a marvelous job at really highlighting and and focusing the eye and the mind in that regard. I'm glad you brought up Boston because that's what I was thinking that uh, Friedrich Dermott would have been the playwright for our time to uh, capture all the dynamics because uh, uh, Dermott uh, in all of his plays, his range was covering the political and the religious divides. Not, not I mean, uh, in a... Uh, he wasn't pitching one particular opinion, but he was trying to bring out how, how, what that collision was like, and and he was 
as what you're saying Jane's doing in her production, he was entreating the audience to participate in this. He didn't want any kind of a, a passive kind of an audience to take in this production. I think that's one of the well, things that has made the play for me when I first read about it and, and read it when I was in graduate school, the notion that it really... It's very entertaining, and at the same time, it's a, a you don't leave the theater without having a conversation. Which makes me think, and I'm going to mention the, the schedule, and that the schedule uh, is, leads to a question here that I have, that folks, now is the time to get the tickets because the little theater, the, all, there will be a number of, of uh, performances, and I'll tell you about those, but the... The, the little theater is the it's the oldest theater that's on the campus um, and you need to get them the, the dates start with uh, Friday and that uh, excuse me that's begins Friday May uh, April 20 oh my goodness Seven. I've got it's Saturday, April, Saturday. April 27th. Saturday April 27th uh, and then we have um, the Sunday uh, matinee of that same weekend and then starting the next the following week uh, th- so there's the eight o'clock. Saturday and um, let's see here. Saturday and then Thursday. Oh, okay, but it's it's an interesting way it's been put out in the program. <laughs> uh, so I'm just trying to capture. You've got your Saturday and uh, Saturday evening, Sunday matinee of this weekend, and then the next week you've got the Friday evening, Saturday evening performances, and the Sunday matinees at the little theater and so uh, I'm beginning to think that maybe I need to see this play more than once that would be great (laughs) you certainly get I've been fortunate enough to be as artistic director and chair of the department to observe rehearsals and to watch the growth but it really the more you watch the play the more things you actually see and not only the wit in the writing but the way that the director and that Jane has focused your eye on specific things so that you begin like any great piece of art to get more and more and more uh, each with each passing uh, viewing of the show so and and you don't actually view the show I think you have to participate in it because in what other ways things, well one of the things about the play is it's an enormous cast Jane it's what 30-some-odd actors and on stage. We're going to talk to that, yeah, yes. about 30 people. Yeah, about and about so 40, 40-some 40 That's an enormous cast on any stage, but especially in a little theater where the audience is only, you know, 170 or so. So it's proportionately a huge number. But you also realize that the proportion of the audience and and performer ratio makes you have to participate. And I think that's one of the things that the town, the, that the town of Turdley, where the show is set, makes it is a mirror for ourselves. And of course, as Shakespeare says, you know, we look into the mirror and, and see ourselves more clearly. So, correct. Well, when you're talking about participation, I. Auditory comes to my mind, but uh, what other things are you envisioning? So we can have a little playbook for the the patrons. Well, it's not. There are shows that you just that are spectacle shows that you don't you just sort of observe. But this show, I think, the way Jane has directed it, it makes you think and you, it makes you psychologically look at your own belief system, and in that way, you're participating in the storyline because you recognize yourself in one or more characters of the play and you make they the characters of the play are reflecting back to you each of us who we are at various points in our either belief system or what we represent in the world at large wonderful extraordinary and this number the the, the huge cast that you have it's an opportunity you've got graduate students 
you've got undergraduate students, all of them being able to participate in such a magnanimous kind of a production. It's been a just terrific company of actors, and we just uh, added there's two children from the community that are oh, in really? the show as well. And so it's it really spans from eight years old through our oldest of grad students that's in the cast. So it's a lovely sense that it really is a town. It really is one. Oh, my goodness. And I'm going to remind everybody that the box office, David Walker's crowd, they're waiting to hear from you. This is a different number, but the, the arts off, uh, box office is 824-2787, or you can get your tickets on the web at arts.uci.edu forward slash tickets. And, uh, you, or you can look up the Claire Trevor Brand School of the Arts website and Scroll, 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 and search, 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 and you'll be able to find it. But if you go directly to the arts.uci.edu forward slash tickets, then you'll be able to um, order those much-needed tickets because they're, they're flying, I'm sure. And I, I do think I'm going to have to go in, in twice. It may be at the price of me doing something other other productive thing but I, or not so productive thing, but I, 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 I'm, I'm convinced because I know when we've, I've seen some amazing productions here I've thought, wow, I, I would like to see that right now one more time all over again. And so um, that's something to consider, everybody. So I think you're wise. Yeah. Well, yes. I mean, it's because it's, as, as Jane was saying earlier, it's rarely produced. So uh, this, these are very um, special opportunities to take up and, and wring the heck out of it. So um, let's talk about, um, let's see, it's the... Um, We've talked about the very large cast, uh, the culpability of bankrolling fascists. Now, um, I'm just trying to think of some other pearls. Uh, what? Oh, what I wanted to find out is Jane was mentioning she read this play in graduate school. How did this particular play make it into the UCI calendar then? Well, when I came to join the faculty last uh, January, one of the first classes I taught was a graduate level script analysis class. And I really was trying to use plays that students might not be familiar with as we were working through different ways to look at and how to read and take plays apart. And, and I had, I thought the visit is such a strong piece and it's a very complicated play wow. uh, dramaturgically. So I brought it in and none of the students had read it, which was terrific. That's what you want. Exactly. You want them to be stunned and, and freshly bombarded and they loved the play they, and they did. had great debates in class as to what does happen and what would they do and what should the town have done and what did they do they were holding up the mirror all the time and and when i went in to um be involved in the season selection last year and i was asked to submit a list of plays i was interested in doing and coming from the professional theater they were generally smaller cast you know no more than maybe 10 or 11 people and uh, the chair at the time encouraged me, oh, think much bigger. We want more people to work with you. Oh, good. Which is something you never hear in the professional theater. Because they're paying. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and I said, well, the visit's you know, a, a play I love and the students really like. And, uh, and that's how it got into the season. And I'm just really grateful to have a chance to direct it. It's interesting when you look at the the your program. It has a woman in a very kind of Victorian uh, dress get up the, uh, right, you know, over the the title there. So uh, it's um, I hope people can uh, sort of uh, you know take take note that it's really there's something more going on than uh, it looks like an Oscar Wilde sort of uh, yes, you know. She's in a business suit. <laughs> she's a power broker. <laughs> uh, she's right in, in in that period. So uh, it's. Uh, 
it's going to be a phenomenal piece to see. And, and it's, it's interesting that the students, I mean, not, not as many students, increasingly they're reading less and less, but they, they picked up this play and they read it. They were taken in by the whole thing. Yes, they really enjoyed it. I'm really grateful for and that. So casting everybody, are there any casting stories where, uh, you know, you had a lot of decisions to make, Jane? Well, um, Gary, were you involved in this or this is Jane's casting only? Well, Jane was predominantly involved in her casting, but we've had a number of people who, uh, uh, we had a student who, for financial reasons, was not able to join the cast. He, he accepted casting at the beginning of the year, and at the last minute, uh, you know, his family situation was such that he had to, to bow out because of his work schedule. And so one of our PAs, on the production, production assistants yes. had the same set of skills and so was oh. moved up. So it was one of those sort of theater magic stories. You know, you're hanging around and you just happen to be in the right place at the right time and this kid was able to be cast in the show. And, uh, you know, he's going to make his debut in the, in the department on the main stage production and only because he was in the right place at the right time. So All right, 89% and climbing, a percent of life is showing up being there at the right place Absolutely. so was it uh, you you had to audition some uh, as you said Jane students that were young children that were not on the campus so you had to put that notice out but uh, was it uh, did it fall into place then you could you sort of were getting acquainted with the the uh, the the lineup and you could pretty much figure that well, out the, or do they choose them a little bit now the way the department uh, functions is at the beginning of the year there's a huge audition several days it's called megas mega auditions for the whole season and you sit through it's about 280 auditions and all the directors for the shows are there and then wow and then you uh sort of do your first round casting and you know and then there's horse trading of course so that you know people get opportunities and of course having a show this big um there were a lot there's just a lot of people to find and being new, it was really based largely on what they did in that audition, and then in callbacks, when you have a couple of days to take a look at people further. There's also an interesting story, a young yes. man who's in the in the company is an, uh, an art history major who happened to audition, and I just thought was perfect for this role, and has been a wonderful company member, but he's a major in art history. What, what's, what's the name of the character? He's the son of, um, of the Alfred Ill. Oh. Oh, and he's a. <clears throat> there are consequences there. Okay. Oh well, that's marvelous. Yes, Gary. Gary B. Well, I was just going to say uh, the nice part about um, the way we do casting at the in the department is we, as we pick a season, we are considering not only the way the season wants to be focused and the things that the the department is trying to offer the community at large, but we're also balancing that with the pedagogical needs yes. of our actors. Right. And so, if you know, they've only, if they've only played, if we only did a season of comedies, that would that would skew their growth in one way. Um, and so, we're trying to balance out a whole number of factors, uh, character types, and and role types, and role size, and all of those things. Um, so, there's that going on, but. In and aside from that, casting is open. The only you only have to be a UCI student to be cast in a production in the drama department. Okay. You have to be an enrolled student. So anyone from any department All right. is 
is uh, is available to be cast. Well, we so. know that one of those mega casting days next next year, we can uh, make sure KUCI is a part of uh, sounding out. Not I don't know public service announcement or. Uh, one of you appearing back again, we could talk about that. So, uh, well, we're going to have to wrap this up. I'm going to remind everybody the visit will be performed at UCI's Little Theater on Saturday, April 27, uh, at 8, the uh, Sunday, uh, April 28th at 2 p.m., then the following weekend, uh, Friday night and Saturday night at 8 o'clock, that's May 3, May 4, and then on May 5th, a Sunday matinee at 2 p.m. The box office is 824-2787, and the web for buying tickets is arts.uci.edu forward slash tickets. Jane Page and Dr. Gary Busby, I want to thank both of you for uh, not only giving us sort of what's going on in the behind the season scenes, but what we're going to be doing in the front of the scenes and putting all of us on notice that one shot at this play probably isn't enough. And we're we're going to form an orderly line around all the box office outlets to get sure to to bring out every bit of goodness of this play to, uh, for a reflective theatric round. Thank you so much, both of you, for Thank being you. on Ask a Leader. We'll see you at the theater. Okay. See you there. Take care. And, and safe return from the Big Apple, Dr. Busby. Thank you so okay. much. Thanks a lot. great talking to you. Uh, all right. Well, we are going to now close with uh, uh, one announcement. I want people to pay attention to what's going on with the Irvine City Council, the Great Park is the vision is shrinking before us that before the city council chamber meeting regularly scheduled council meeting is going to be an only two-hour meeting about the great parks board work starting at two o'clock that's your chance folks to to weigh in on what you want to make sure is an intact vision I uh, put my heart, my sleep feelings on my sleeve uh, today at the city council. And for listeners, I want you to know next week, my guests are going to be Heidi Campbell and her collaborator, Dr. Shane Harvard Medical School on innovative techniques for teaching autistic students. The other guest will be Stephen Baxter presenting an exhibition in Fullerton. And the name of that will be Art with an Agenda Presents Love, Sex, Unity, Respect in Support of Marriage Equality and OC, that is Orange County's lay, Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transsexual, Queer uh, Unions. Okay, what a bargain. All these marvels and prizes you get to tap into for free. Do I hear any callers who'd like to donate to our fund drive? 949-824-5824. Someone's calling. All of you can give us a call and tell us what you want to do with the show, with what you want to support us. $35 is the pledge, and we're going to be up next. I'm running only slightly over. George Rosales will come in. I'll help him pitch a few more fun drives. We're going to go out with uh, Johnny Holiday. He's a classic with La Penitentiarie. It's kind of a mixing and matching of some subject matter we've had today. So uh, thank you for joining. Talk to you next week. Fermé. 
que je finirai ma vie comme d'autres gars l'ont.